My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Amen. Today we pray the iconic Magnificat, where Mary's song of worship turns the world upside down. So let me set the scene. Mary is probably a teenage girl living in a crowded backwater town called Nazareth. Today's gospel tells us that the angel Gabriel stuns Mary when he says, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And note the present tense here, the Lord is with you, which foreshadows Emmanuel, God with us. Now this would terrify a teenager, Mary knows she could be stoned for adultery, and if she can survive the purity codes, she also knows the dangers of pregnancy in first century Palestine. Knowing the risks, Mary still says, how can this be? And I wonder if you and I would ask a similar question. If God interrupted everything we thought we knew with life-changing news, But Gabriel makes clear that we lack the capacity even to imagine the ways of God. Gabriel tells Mary the plan, which includes the update that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and nobody thought that could happen. Can't you just see Gabriel beaming as he says, Nothing is impossible with God. How does Mary respond? Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And though Mary agrees to God's plan, she is not meek, and she is not mild. Far from it, as we're about to find out. Mary travels to meet her cousin Elizabeth, and I imagine Elizabeth runs to greet Mary as she appears off in the distance Indeed, John the Baptist leaps for joy in utero when the moms-to-be hug it out. And Mary says, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in you, O God, my Savior. How beautiful indeed that Mary chooses to worship the God of limitless possibility. I am inspired by her joy. Her spirit rejoices, just like baby John backflipping for joy in God's saving presence. But never forget that she is singing this song in the face of terrible danger. She sings joy to the world, but Rome still occupies Nazareth. She's singing joy to the world, And in a flash, Mary and Joseph change every plan they have ever made. Joy to the world. Why? For you have looked with favor on your lowly servants. You know, Matthew's telling of this story focuses on Joseph. And what will I do with this problematic pregnant fiancé of mine? But not Luke. Luke goes straight to Mary. And he joins in the tradition of Deborah and Miriam and Hannah, clearly guided by Hannah's style, because they both call themselves God's servant. 
And here we find the first of five reversals in the text. Mary is of low estate, a poor girl, unmarried, under Roman occupation, and yet she becomes the God-bearer, the mother of Jesus. So, from this day all generations will call me blessed, because you have done great things for me, and holy is your name. Holy is your name. Because Luke wants us to know this part of the story. He's setting the scene for Jesus. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, they say. And I like to think Jesus got some of his ideas from his mama. So now Mary shows us God's preferential option for the poor. You have mercy on those who fear you from generation to generation. Grace and mercy define this God of ours who so loves the world that he sends his only son to show us how to live and how to love. But don't get put off by Mary's word fear here. That could also be translated revere. The point here is that we worship, we magnify, we adore a merciful God who has been faithful for a very long time. You have shown strength with your arm and scattered the proud in their conceit. Now here's our second reversal. Pride is that brutal sin, giving root to so many aspects of broken relationship with ourselves, with each other, and with God. If we're honest, it probably has a hold in our own lives too. I know it's growing in me, when my want supersedes those of others, when I'm more concerned with, say, my social media image than what I'm actually doing to make a difference in my neighborhood. Mary reminds us that pride comes before the fall and moves us to the third reversal. You cast down the mighty from their thrones and lift up the lowly. Do you notice the power in these revolutionary overtones? God's arm is strong. The proud get scattered, the mighty are cast down, the lowly are lifted up, and they're going to need a lift because they don't even have boots, let alone boot straps with which to pull themselves up. See, I told you, Mary is not meek and mild. The girlfriend's a revolutionary, and she's not done. After zinging the ruler's pride, she moves on to her fourth reversal, now an economic critique. You have filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. So I feel like we're all on board with the hungry getting food. But the Magnificat makes for tricky preaching at the end of the fiscal year, when every 501c3 nonprofit ever needs our support. Is she mad at all of the rich people? By global standards, that includes everybody with an internet connection and a house and heat listening to this sermon and and me being paid to give it. This is a tricky text. And I think scholar Andrew Purvis's perspective gives us at least two conclusions we can work with. One, God does not approve of prideful people or of powerful rulers who disregard the lowly in their charge or of rich people who feast while the hungry starve. Or, two, God looks with favor 
upon those of low estate, establishing a preferential option for the poor, the lowly, the marginalized, and the oppressed. Indeed, the ethics of the kingdom of God call us to raise up and bless the poor, the weak, and the hungry among us, and to denounce and bring down those who perpetuate such hurt and disadvantage. But does raising up one group require the oppression of another? Or can those of us with great power and privilege relinquish some that it might be shared? Mark 10 gives us a vision for this because he says, In God's kingdom, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. But as Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas reminds us, those words do not portend a reversal of economic fortune, but a time when there are no unjust hierarchical orders of privilege and domination. And so how do we dismantle the domination but for those of us with great privilege to listen to the voices of the lowly? who have, in Dr. Brown Douglas's words, a liberating moral agency to critique the corruption of endemic power. A liberating moral agency to critique the corruption of endemic power. And if that sounds like academic jargon for you, let me make it plain. Mary is showing us a way out of this mess we're in. I don't need to read the list. You know that the world is broken. You know that our lives are hurting and that we yearn for a new way to live. So let us find and heed the Marys of our day. Mary's song is powerful because she is literally that voice with the liberating moral agency. She proclaims the greatness of the Lord, yes, but what comes with that is that she calls us to realign our structures of power so that kids don't go to bed hungry, and the folks who slept on our church steps last night get some decent housing, and the wealthiest countries don't clear the shelves of life-saving vaccines, and all God's children are known and loved and safe and fed, which specifically means that those of us with great power and privilege are going to have to use it to change systems, and we're going to have to give some of it away. So thank God for Mary's moral clarity. And now this final reversal affects God's relationship to Israel, which represents God's covenant. You have come to the help of your servant Israel, for you have remembered your promise of mercy. The promise made to our forebears to Abraham and his children forever. Indeed, God is in the promise-keeping business. And throughout the scriptures, God promises mercy and strength, abundant life, and so much more. Friends, I, I hope that you can be encouraged by this text. Hear those words of promise long before Mary meets Gabriel when Yahweh declares, You shall be my people, and I shall be your God. I want you to be comforted that God is with us, Emmanuel. God sends us a Messiah. I want you to be soothed that we receive a Prince of Peace in the person of Jesus. His is the peace that passes all mortal understanding. And it will guide our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I want you to be inspired that God sends us a wonderful counselor in the person of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and insight and sighs too deep for words. I want you to be challenged that God sends us a mighty God, one with the everlasting Father. Jesus stares down Pontius Pilate and all the corruption of endemic power that Rome represents, and he proclaims that love is stronger than death with his own body. Finally, may we be sent forth to show the world why Mary sings this song, for we are about to receive the greatest gift the world has ever known, a tiny child born to immigrants in a cave, showing us the way and the truth and the life. Indeed, this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not, could not, will not overcome it. So joy to the world, my friends. Our Savior comes. Alleluia, alleluia, and amen.